if I am any way useful to the world, undeserved mercy has made me so, for which I must be thankful. How long I shall be so is not my business to determine, but my Lord's. As God will be served and pleased by a wonderful variety of animals and vegetables, so he will by their successive generations. If one flower fall or die, others in future summer shall arise from the same root. God will have other generations to succeed us. Let us thank him that we have had our time. And could we without selfishness love others as ourselves and God as God, it would comfort us at death to have others survive us and the world continue and God still be God and be glorified in his works. Love would say, I shall live in my successors. I shall more than live in the life of the world and most of all in the eternal life and glory of God. Nor will God try us with too long a life of temptations, lest we should grow too familiar where we would be strangers and be utterly strangers to our home. No wonder the world was ready for a deluge, by a deluge of sin, when men lived six, seven, eight, hundred, or nine hundred years. Had our great sensualists any hope of living so long, they would be like incarnate devils. There would be no dwelling near them for the godly. Nor will God tire us with too long a life of afflictions. And shall we grudge it the wisdom and goodness which shortens them? Though holy duties be excellent and delightful, yet the weakness of the flesh makes us liable to weariness and abates the willingness of the spirit. By our weariness and complaints, our fears and groans, we seem to think this life too long. And yet when we should yield to the call of God, we draw back as if we would have it to be everlasting. Willingly submit then, O my soul, it is not thyself, but this flesh that must be dissolved, this troublesome, vile, and corruptible flesh. Study thy duty, work while it is day, and let God choose thy time, and willingly stand to his disposal. When I die, the gospel dies not, the church dies not, the praises of God die not, the world dies not, but perhaps it will grow better, and those prayers be answered which seem to be lost, and perhaps some of the seed I have sown will spring up when I am dead. If my end was to do good and glorify God, when good is done and God is glorified, though I were annihilated, is not my end attained? Lord, let thy servant depart in peace, even in thy peace, which passes all understanding, and which Christ, the Prince of Peace, gives, and which nothing in the world can take away. Oh, give me that peace which suits a soul who is so near the harbor, even the world of endless peace and love. Call home this soul by the encouraging voice of love, that it may joyfully hear and say, It is my Father's voice. Invited to thee by the heavenly messenger, attracted by the tokens and foretaste of love, the messengers that invited me to the feast of grace, compelled me to come in without constraint. Thy effectual call made me willing, and is not glory better than the grace which prepares for it? Shall I not more willingly come to the celestial feast? What was thy grace for but to make me desirous of glory in the way to it? Why didst thou dart down thy beams of love but to make me love thee, to call me up to the everlasting sinner? Was not the feast of grace as a sacrament of the feast of glory? Did I not take it in remembrance of my Lord till he come? Did not he that told me all things are ready tell me also that he has gone to prepare a place for us, and that he will have us to be with him and see his glory? They that are given him and are drawn to him by the Father on earth 
do come to Christ. Give now and draw my departing soul to my glorified head. As I have glorified thee on earth and the measure of thy grace bestowed upon me, pardon the sins by which I have offended thee and glorify me in the vision and participation of my Redeemer's glory. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly with fuller life and light and love into this too dead and dark and disaffected soul that with joyful willingness it may come unto thee. Willingly depart, O lingering soul, it is from a Sodom. Though there be righteous lots in it, they are not without their sad blemishes. Hast thou so often lamented the general blindness and wickedness of the world, and art thou loath to leave it for a better? How often wouldst thou have rejoiced to see but the dawning of a day of universal peace and reformation, and wouldst thou not see it where it shines in perfect beauty? Hast thou prayed and labored so hard to have the pleasure of a light at midnight, and is it not thy desire to behold the sun itself? Will the things of heaven please thee nowhere but on earth, where they are least and weakest? Away, away, vindictive flames are ready to consume this sinful world. Sinners are treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. Look not then behind thee, away from this unhappy world, pressed toward the mark, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, as this world has used thee, so it would still do. When thou hast fared best in it, no thanks to it but to God. If thou hast had manifold deliverances and preservations, and hast been fed with angels' food, love not the wilderness, but thy heavenly guide, protector, and deliverer. Does God in his great mercy make pain and feebleness the harbingers of death? And wilt thou not understand their business? Wouldst thou dwell with thy beloved body in the grave, where it will rot in loathsome darkness? If not, why should it now, in its painful languor, seem to thee a more pleasing habitation than the glorious presence of thy Lord? In the grave it will be at rest, nor at the night wish, oh, that it were morning, nor in the morning say, when will it be night? And is this a dwelling fit for thy delight? Patience in it, while God will so try thee, is thy duty. But is such patience a better and sweeter life than rest and joy? But, alas, how deaf is flesh to reason! I have reason enough to be willing to depart, even much more willing than I am. Oh, that I could be as willing as reason convinces me I ought to be! Could I love God as much as I know I ought to love Him, then I should desire to depart and to be with Christ as much as I know I ought to desire it. But death must be a penalty, even where it is a gain, and therefore it must meet with some unwillingness. Because we willingly sin, we must unwillingly suffer. All the faith and reason in the world will not make death to be no penalty, and therefore will not take away all unwillingness. No man ever reasoned or believed himself into a love of pain and death as such, but since the gain is unspeakably greater than the pain and loss, therefore faith and holy reason may make our willingness greater than our unwillingness, and our hope and joy than our fear and sorrow. Come then, my soul, and think believingly what is best for thee, which will be the subject of the next chapter, and wilt thou not love and desire that most which is certainly best? Chapter 4 Why it is far better to be with Christ to say or hear that it is far better to be with Christ is not enough to make us willing. 
If I firmly believe that it is best for me, I shall then desire it. And have I not reason to believe it? Let me seriously consider, for my full conviction, by what means I am preparing for this happiness, how this happiness is the end for which I am preparing, and how it will perfect my knowledge, will, and activity in doing good. Number 1. The means by which I am preparing to be with Christ abundantly show that it is far better to be with Him. As for instance, that is best for me which my Heavenly Father's love designs and chooses for my good. I hope I shall never dare to say or think that He is mistaken, or that I could have chosen better for myself. Many a time has the wise and good will of God crossed my foolish, rebellious will, and afterward I have perceived it was best. It is not an enemy nor a tyrant that made me, preserves me, or calls me hence. The more I have tried him, the better I have found him. Had I better obeyed his ruling will, how happy had I been! And is not his disposing and rewarding will as good? Should I not die till myself or any of my dearest friends would have it? Would this rejoice me? O oh, foolish, sinful soul, is it not far better to be at God's choice? than my own or any man's be of good cheer then O my soul it is thy father's voice that calls thee hence his voice that called thee into being and out of a state of sin and death and bade thee live unto him that called thee so often from the grave forgave thy sins renewed thy strength restored thee to the comforts of his house and service and has so graciously led thee through this howling wilderness almost to the side of the promised land. And wilt thou not willingly go when such infinite love calls thee? Art thou not desirous of his presence? Art thou afraid to go to him who is the only cure of thy fears? What was it but this glory to which he elected thee, not to the riches and honors of this world, or to the pleasures of the flesh, but chose thee in Christ to inheritance and glory? If God chose thee to blessedness, Refuse it not thyself, nor behave like a refuser. That is my best state which my Savior purchased and promised as best. As he bought me not with silver and gold, so neither did he live and die to make me rich and great in the world. Who have more of these than they that have least of Christ? Is it heaven that costs so dear as his merits, sacrifice, and intercession? Is that the end of so wonderful a design of grace? And shall I now be unwilling to receive the gift that is best for me, for which God's Holy Spirit is preparing me? He is not persuading me from day to day to love the world, but to come off from it, and to set my heart upon things above. And would I now undo all, or cross and frustrate all his operations? Has grace been so long preparing me for glory, and shall I be loath to take possession of it? If I am not willing, I am not yet sufficiently prepared. If heaven be not better for me than earth, God's word and ordinances have been all in vain. Surely that is my best, which is the gift of the better covenant, which is secured to me by so many sealed promises, to which I am directed by so many sacred precepts, doctrines, and examples, and for which I have been called to hear and read, meditate, watch, and pray. Was it fleshly interest or a longer life of worldly prosperity which the gospel covenant secured to me? which the sacraments and spirits sealed to me, which the Bible was written to direct me to, which ministers preached to me, which my books were written for, and for which I prayed and served God? 
Or was it not for his grace on earth and glory in heaven? And is it not better for me to have the end of these means than lose them in my hopes? Why have I used them if I would not attain their end? That is my best state to which all God's fatherly providences tend. All his sweeter mercies and sharper corrections are to make me partaker of his holiness and lead me to glory in the way in which my Savior and all his saints have gone before me. All things work together for the best to me by preparing me for that which is best indeed. Both calms and storms are to bring me to this harbor. If I take them but for themselves and for the present life, I mistake them, unthankfully vilify them, and lose their end, life, and sweetness. Every word and work of God, every day's mercies and changes look at heaven and the intend eternity. God leaves me no other way. If I follow Him not, I forsake my hope and forsaken Him. If I follow Him, Shall I be unwilling to be at home and arrive at the end of all this way? Certainly that is best for me which God requires me principally to value, love, and seek. If my business in the world be only for the things of the world, how vain a creature is man, and how little is the difference between waking and sleeping, life and death? And is it my duty to seek heaven with all the fervor of my soul and diligence of my life? And is it not best to find it? That must needs be best for me, for the sake of which all other things must be forsook. It is folly to forsake the better for the worse, but scripture, reason, and conscience tell me that all this world should be forsaken for the least hope of heaven. When it comes in competition, a possible everlasting glory should be preferred before a certainly perishing vanity. I am sure this life will shortly be nothing to me, and therefore it is nothing now. And must I forsake all for my everlasting hopes? and yet be unwilling to enter on the full possession, that is like to be our best which is in our most mature state. Nature is ever tending towards perfection. Every fruit is best when it is ripe. And does God cause saints to grow to greater ripeness only to be useless? It is not credible. Our souls return to God that gave them, and though He needs them not, He puts them to such heavenly uses as their maturity fits them for. Since love has ripened me for itself, Shall I not willingly drop into its hand? That is like to be best, which has been most esteemed and desired by the wisest and holiest in all ages, and which all men at death allow to be best. No men, or usually worse than those who have no belief or hope of a life to come, and none are so holy, just, and sober, so charitable to others, and so useful to mankind, as those who firmly believe and hope for a state of immortality. And shall I fear such a state? And is not that my best state, which most displeases my greatest enemy? I need not say how much Satan does to keep me and other men from heaven, and in order to that, how he tempts us with worldly honor, pleasure, and wealth. Satan would not have me get to heaven, and I, shall I also be unwilling? All these things tell me that it is best to be with Christ. Number 2. As the end of all my preparation, it must be far better for me to be with Christ. Is not dwelling with God in glory far better than in the sinful world? He that is our beginning is our end, for our end all means are used, and the end attained is the rest of our souls. How often has my soul groaned under a sense of distance, darkness, and alienation from God, 
How often has it looked up and panted after him and said, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. It is good for me to draw near to God. Woe to me if I dissembled. If not, why should my soul draw back? Is it because death stands in the way? And is not my passage secured by the love of my Father and the resurrection and intercession of my Lord? Can I see the light of heavenly glory in this darksome shell and womb of flesh? All creatures are more or less excellent and glorious as God communicates most of himself to them. They are said to be nearest to them that have the noblest natures. Therefore, to be as near as my nature was intended to approach is but to attain the end and perfection of my nature. As I am now under the government of his officers on earth, so I expect to be in heaven. If the law was given by angels, and the angel of God was in the burning bush, and the angel conducted the people through the wilderness, and yet all these things are ascribed to God, much more near and glorious will the divine governments be in heaven. Here I am made, ruled, and sanctified for the good of many as above my own. I am sure I must be finally for my glorified Redeemer, and that he who is the first will be the ultimate cause. In this respect I shall be as near to him as comports with the rank and order of my nature. It is the honor of a servant to have an honorable master, and to be appointed to the most honorable work. My advancement will be ultimately for God, and in such services as are suitable to my spiritual and heavenly state. Activity will be my perfection and my rest. Though now I know not fully what service I must do, I know it will be good and suitable to the blessed state I shall be in. It is not all the use and work of my soul now to care for my body, nor will it be hereafter. Though I shall not always have a body, I shall always have a God and a Savior and a world of fellow creatures. And when I shine not in the lantern, nor see as in a glass, I shall yet see face to face. To fulfill God's will here would be the fulfilling of my own. I am sure my soul shall live, and that it shall live to God, and that I shall fulfill His blessed will, and so far as I am pleased in doing it, it will be my felicity. The soul's regular love to the body illustrates the love of Christ to His church and to every member. Herein my Savior excels me in powerful, faithful love. He will save me better from pain and death than I can save my body, and will more inseparably hold me to Himself. If it pleases my soul to dwell in such a house of clay, how much more will it please my glorified Lord to dwell with his glorified body, the church triumphant, and to bless each member of it? It would be a kind of death to Christ to be separated from his body, and will he take incomparably greater pleasure in me forever than my soul does in my body? Oh, then let me long to be with him. Though I am naturally loath to be absent from the body, let me not be willingly absent from the Lord. And though I would not be unclothed, had not sin made it necessary, let me groan to be clothed upon with my heavenly habitation, to become the delight of my Redeemer, and to be perfectly loved by love itself. The love and delight of my glorified head must be my felicity. I shall be loved as a living spirit, and not as a thing dead and insensible. If I must rejoice here with them that rejoice, shall I not rejoice to have my Lord rejoice in me, and in all his glorified ones? Union will make his pleasure to be much my own. It will fitly be said by him, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. 
the heavenly society also will joyfully welcome a holy soul. If now there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth, what will there be over a perfect glorified soul? If our angels there behold our Father's face, how glad will they be of our company? And will not love and union make their joy my own? Surely that will be my best condition, which angels and blessed spirits will be best pleased with, and in that in which they most rejoice, I shall most rejoice myself. Number three, it is far better for me to be with Christ, and thereby my knowledge will be perfected. A soul that is with Christ is more likely to know Christ and the Father in him than a soul that is in present with the body and absent from the Lord. What less can promise of being with him signify? How much more excellent will intuitive or immediate knowledge be than our present artificial knowledge? There will be no expensive labor in getting it. It will have no mixture of dark and bewildering uncertainty and ambiguity when it is acquired. It will be perfectly free from those contentions which so much rob the ingenuous of their time, destroy their love, hinder their minds from ascending to God and heavenly things, and fill the church with sex and parties. Nor will it leave any of that dissatisfaction so common among the learned, while they have only the shadow of knowledge, licking but the outside of the glass, and leaving the wine within untasted. What an excellency will there be in each of the objects of this immediate knowledge, as for instance I shall know God better. If an angel from heaven came down on earth to tell us all of God that we would know, who would not turn his back on libraries and universities to go and discourse with such a messenger? For one hour's talk with him, what travel should I think too far? What cost too great? But here we must only have such intimations as will exercise faith, excite desire, and try us under the temptation of the world and the flesh. The light of glory is to reward the victory obtained by the conduct of the light of grace. God in great mercy even here begins a reward. They that follow on to know the Lord usually find such increase of light not consisting in vain notions, but in the quickening and comforting knowledge of God as greatly encourages him and draws him still on to seek more. If the pleasure the mind has in common knowledge makes men spend successive years in traversing sea and land, or in turning over multitudes of tedious volumes, who then upon earth can possibly conceive how great a pleasure it will be for a glorified soul to see the Lord? All the pleasure I shall have in heaven in knowing any of the works of God will be in my beholding God himself, his being wisdom, love, and goodness in those works, for he is the life and glory of them all. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and doubtless it will be no small part of my delight to know the universe better. It is exceedingly pleasant to know the least particle of the works of God. With what diligence and delight have men endeavored to anatomize a body, yea, a small part of a carcass, for to know and describe worms and insects, plants and minerals. But no man ever yet perfectly knew the nature and uses of the least of them, if, indeed, we clearly saw the nature in connection of every creature in sea or land, what a delightful spectacle would this spot of this creation be! How much more to see the whole creation! And I shall have as much of this as I shall be capable of. The wonders of God's work shall raise my soul in admiring joyful praise forever. We have desires after such knowledge in our present dark and infant state, for the works of the Lord are great sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. As these desires are of God, 
as he made his works to be known for his glory. And as it is little that is known of them by mortals, therefore they are known by them in heaven, who are fitted to improve that knowledge to his praise. If Christ, the wisdom of God, will teach me the true philosophy, how to love God and please him in all things here, I shall quickly in heaven be a perfect philosopher. Satan tempted Christ by showing him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, promising to give him all if he would worship him. But God will show me more than Satan could show, and give me more of that which is best than Satan could give. Nor will it be the least of my felicity in heaven that I shall better know Jesus Christ and all the mystery of our redemption by him. Oh, be it a fine knowledge to know him, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, to know the mystery of his eternal Godhead, of his created nature, of the union of both, and to see God's wonderful design and gracious work in him laid open to our clearest view. Then all the dark texts concerning his person, offices, and works will be fully understood. All those strange and difficult things which were the great exercise and honor of faith will then be plain. Difficulties will no more be Satan's advantage to tempt us to unbelief or doubting. The sight of the glory of my Lord will be my glory. If now, though we see not Christ, yet believe and we love him and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, what love and joy will the everlasting sight of our blessed head excite there in the souls of all the glorified? I shall better, oh, how much better, know the heavenly Jerusalem, the triumphant church, the blessed angels and glorified saints. What a sight, what a joyful sight will death show me by drawing aside the veil, or rather the Lord of life, by turning death to my advantage. As I now know the several rooms in my house, so shall I then know the many mansions which Christ says are in his Father's house. If Nehemiah and the pious Jews rejoice so much at seeing the walls of Jerusalem repaired, and others at the rebuilding of the temple, oh, what a joyful sight shall I have of the heavenly Jerusalem! I know that angels now love us, minister unto us, rejoice in our good, and are themselves far more holy and excellent creatures than we are. It is therefore my comfort to think that I shall better know them, and live in near and perpetual acquaintance and communion with them, and bear my part in the same choir in which they preside. And when I think how sweet one wise and holy companion has been to me here on earth, and how lovely his graces have appeared, oh, what a sight will it be when we shall see the millions of the spirits of just men made perfect, shining with Christ in perfect wisdom and holiness. If this world was full of wise, just, and holy persons, how lovely would it be? If one kingdom consisted of such, it would make us loath to die and leave such a country, were it not that the more the beauty of goodness appears, the more the perfection of it is desired. It is pleasant to me to pray and hope that earth may be made more like heaven, which has now become so like hell. But when I shall see the society perfected in number, holiness, and glory, employed in the high and joyful praises of Jehovah, the glory of God and the Lamb shining on them, and God rejoicing over them as his delight, and myself partaking now of the same, that will be the truly blessed day. And why does my soul imprisoned in flesh no more desire it? I shall better understand all the word of God, though I shall not have the use for it. I now have in this life of faith, yet I shall see more of God's wisdom and goodness, love and mercy and justice appearing in it than ever man on earth can do. 
as a creature, so the scriptures are perfectly known only by perfect spirits. I shall then know how to solve all doubts, reconcile all seeming contradictions, and expound the hardest prophecy. That light will show me the admirable method of those sacred words where dark minds now suspect confusion. How joyfully shall I then praise my God and Savior for giving His church so clear a light to guide them through this darksome wilderness, and so sure a promise to support them till they are come to life eternal. How joyfully shall I bless Him who by that immortal seed regenerated me to the hope of glory and ruled me by so holy and just a law. In that world of light I shall better understand God's works of providence. The wisdom and good of them is little understood in small parcels. It is the union and harmony of all the parts which displays the beauty of them. And no one can see the whole together but God and they that see it in the light of His celestial glory. Then I shall clearly know why God prospered the wicked and so much afflicted the righteous, why He set up the ungodly and put the humbled under their feet, why He permitted so much ignorance, pride, lust, oppression, persecution, falsehood, and other sins in the world, why the faithful are so few, and why so many kingdoms of the world are left in heathenism, Mohammedanism, and infidelity. I shall know why I suffered why I did, and how many great deliverances I had, and how they were accomplished. All our misinterpretations of God's works and permissions will then be rectified, and all our controversies about them be at an end. Among all these works I shall especially know more of the nature and excellency of God's mercy. The lively sense of love and mercy makes lively Christians abound in love to God and in mercy to others. But the enemy of God and man labors to obscure and diminish our views of divine love and mercy. Ingratitude is great misery, as gratitude is true pleasure. We now receive thousands of mercies which we undervalue. But when I come to the state and work of perfect gratitude, I shall perfectly know all the mercies ever received by myself, by my neighbors and friends, by the church and the world. Mercies remembered must be the manner of our everlasting thanks, and we cannot be perfectly thankful for them without a perfect knowledge of them. The worth of Christ and all of His grace, of the gospel and of all divine ordinances and church privileges, of our books and our friends, our health, and all the conveniences of our lives will be better understood in heaven than the most holy and thankful Christian ever understood them here. Then shall I be much better acquainted with myself. I shall know the nature of souls and the way of their operations and how the Spirit of God works upon them and how the Spirit is sent from Christ to work upon them. I shall know what measure of grace I myself had and how far I was mistaken concerning it. I shall know more of the number and greatness of my sins and of my obligation to pardoning and healing grace. Yes, I shall know more of my body as a habitation of my soul and how far it helped or hindered me and what were all its diseases and how wonderfully God supported, preserved, and often delivered me. I shall also far better know my fellow creatures. The good and bad, the sincere and hypocrites will there be discerned. Actions that were here thought honorable will then be found to be odious and unjust, and wickedness will no more be flattered or extenuated. Many a good and holy work which was reproached as criminal will there be justified, honored, and rewarded. Once more I shall better know from what enemies, sins, and dangers I was here delivered, what stratagems of Satan and his instruments God defeated, how many snares I escaped, 
and how great is my deliverance by Christ from the wrath to come. All this knowledge will thus be advanced to my glorified soul beyond my present conceptions. And is it not therefore far better to be with Christ? Number four. It is far better for me to be with Christ for the sake of having my will perfected. The will is to the soul what the heart is to the body. My greatest evil is there, and there will be my greatest good. Satan did most against it, and God will do most for it. When I am with Christ, my will will no more be tied to a body, which is now the grand snare and enemy of my soul, by drawing my love and care, my fears and sorrows to itself, and turning them from my highest interest. There my will shall not be tempted by a world of inferior good, nor shall meat or in sleep, possessions and friends be my snares and dangers, nor shall the mercies of God be the tempter's instruments, nor shall I have the flatteries or frowns of tyrants, nor will bad company infect or divert me, nor the errors of good men seduce me, nor the reputation of the wise and learned draw me to imitate them in any sin. There will be none of Satan's solicitations to pervert my will. My will shall there be better than here, as it shall have nothing in it displeasing to God, no sinful inclination, no striving against God's Spirit, no grudging at any word or work of God, nor any principle of enmity or rebellion left. There it shall have no inclination to injure my neighbor or to do anything against the common good. And there it shall have nothing in it opposite to itself. No more law of my members warring against the law of my mind. No more contrariety between sense and reason. But all will be unity and peace within. There Christ will have perfectly sanctified my will and made it conformable to his own and to his Father's will. This is at least his meaning when he prays that all his disciples may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that they may be one, even as we are one. I shall love and will the same that God loves and wills, and how can the will of man have greater honor? Assimilation to an earthly king is honorable, but much more to angels, but most of all to be like God. Indeed, here the divine image is in us, in its degrees, a conformity to the will of God, but alas, how many thousand wishes and desires have we had which are against the will of God. We shall have the full impression of God's will in heaven as face answers to face in the glass, or as a wax to the seal, or the finger of the clock to the motion within, or as the echo to the voice. I shall desire and never be disappointed. I shall have as much love and joy as I wish. Before I desire anything, I shall know whether it be God's will or not, and therefore shall never wish anything that shall not be accomplished. Yea, my will shall be my enjoyment, for it shall not be the desire of what I want, but a complacency in what I possess. I shall want nothing. I shall thirst no more. Rightly is the will itself called love. My will shall be full of perfect joy, when in joy and love and pleasure will be my will. Thus shall I have within myself a spring of living waters. My will shall be confirmed and fixed in this conformity to the will of God. Now, both understanding and will are so lamentably mutable that farther than God promises to uphold us, we know not one day what we shall think, judge, or will the next. But when love becomes our fixed nature, we shall be no more weary of loving than the sun of shining. God himself will be the full and everlasting object of my love. Perfect joyful complacency in God is the heaven which I desire and hope for. In God there is all that love can desire for its full everlasting feast. 
The nature of man's will is to love good as good. God, who is infinitely good in himself, will be that most suitable good to me. He has all in himself that I need or can desire. There is nothing for love to cleave to, either above him, beyond him, or without him. He is willing to be beloved by me. He disdains not my love. He might have refused such affections as have so often embraced vanity and filth, but he commands my love and makes it my greatest duty. He invites and entreats me as if he were a gainer by my happiness. He seeks to me to seek him and is both the first and most earnest suitor. He that so valued my cold and perfect love to him on earth will not reject my perfect love in heaven, and he is near to me, not a distant God out of my reach, nor unsuitable to my love. Blind unbelievers may dream that he is far off, but even now he is as nigh to us as we are to ourselves. When he would sanctify us to love him, he brings us nigh to himself in Christ. Here we see him in his works and word, and there we shall see him in all the perfect glory of his works, and shall delightfully love that glorious perfection of the universe, even the image of God and all the world. I shall especially love the holy society, the triumphant universal church, consisting of Christ, angels, and saints. God himself loves him more than his inferior works, and my love according to its measure will imitate his. Think here, O my soul, how sweet thy condition will be to love the Lord Jesus thy glorified head with perfect love, when the glory of God which shines in him will feast thy love with full and everlasting pleasure, the highest created perfection of power, wisdom, and goodness refulgent in him will not permit thy love to cease or abate its fervor when thou shalt see in the glorified church the precious fruits of Christ redeeming grace and love and when thou shalt see thyself possessed of perfect happiness by his love to thee and shalt remember what he did for thee and in thee here on earth how he called thee with the holy calling how he washed thee in his blood from all thy sins how he kindled in thee desires after glory how he renewed thy nature how he instructed guided and preserved thee from sins enemies and sufferings all this will constrain thee everlastingly to love him Think also, O my soul, how delightful it will be to love those angels who most fervently love the Lord. They will be lovely to thee, as they have loved thee, and more as they have been loved of the church and of mankind. But far more, as they are, so many refulgent stars which continually move and shine and burn in perfect love to their Creator. O blessed difference between that amiable society and this dark, distracted, wicked world. There shall I see or hear no evil, no mixture of folly or pollution, no false doctrine, no bad example, no favoring wickedness, no accusing goodness, no hurtful violence, but holy, powerful, active love will be all and do all as their very nature, life, and work. And is not a day with them better than a thousand here? And with holy angels I shall also love holy souls that are made like them and join with them in the same society. All their infirmities are there put off and they also are spirits made up of holy life and light and love. And when I think with what fervent love to God, to Jesus Christ, and to one another, they will perfectly be united there. Grieve and blush, O my soul, that they should be here so disaffected and divided. The imperfect image of God upon them is amiable, but through their remaining pride, error, and uncharitableness, it is hard to live with some of them in peace. Oh, how delightful will that communion of saints be, where perfect love shall make them one. Forget not, my soul, how sweet God has made the course of my pilgrimage, 
by the fragrance and usefulness of his servants' graces. How sweet have been my bosom friends! How sweet the neighborhood of the godly! How sweet their holy assemblies, their writings, conference, and prayers! What then will it be to live in perfect love with perfect saints in heaven forever, and with them perfectly to love the God of love? As the act and object of love will constitute my future felicity, I shall not be the fountain of my own delights, but my receiving from the love of God and its creatures shall be sweeter to me than my own activity. All love is communicative, but none compared with God's. Whatever good is done in the world, it is done by love. Therefore parents care and provide for children. Therefore my house and table are not neglected, nor my books and learning forgot, nor my friends despised, nor my life itself thrown away. If a man love not his country, posterity, and the common good, he will be as a drone in the hive. And if created love be so necessary, so active and communicative, much more will be the infinite love of the Creator. His love is now the life of nature in the living, the life of holiness in the saints, and the life of glory in them that are glorified. In this love I and all the saints shall dwell forevermore. And if I dwell in love and love in me, surely I shall ever drink of the rivers of pleasure. Had I a great wise and good friend that did for me the hundredth part of what God does, how dearly should I love him? Think then, think believingly, seriously, constantly, O oh, my soul, what a life thou shalt live forever in the presence and bosom of an infinite, eternal love. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 480- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T six L three T five you may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, 
that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.